Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast is a coaching special. Many of you out there, many of the listeners will know that I work with a coaching group of which we have about 11 or 12, if I remember correctly, specific ultra running coaches. And while we work with our athletes on an individual basis, we also use our collective coaching group as a way to harness the knowledge of all of us together because we are greater than the sum of our parts. And so what I wanted to do on the podcast today specifically is to peel the curtain back a little bit on what some of those conversations look like. So I invited on the podcast today, one of the very first coaches that I hired for ultra running specifically, and that is coach John Fitzgerald. And we had a really cool conversation about what is going on right now with athletes during this transition period from COVID, where races did not happen at all, to now the races are going to gradually, slowly come back online. We talked about that. In addition to that, we talked about this new phenomenon of personal projects and FKTs and how those can get woven into successful athlete training and successful athlete goals. John is one of the coaches that I work with on a daily basis that I have the most tremendous amount of respect for. His athletes absolutely love him, and you're going to see why in this podcast. So here we go. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Coach John Fitzgerald. So like I said, I was saying earlier, I did Zane Gray this weekend, and you know, here, here's where I have to show a little bit of humility here. I thought that it was 100K until like the week before the race, I think. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what happened. Like, I missed some critical piece of information from the, from, from the race because I signed up during the COVID year. It, which they were going to do their first edition of the 100K. So the course is traditionally 50 miles, and it's on this point-to-point course. They had, to change it, they had to change it one year because of some Forest Service issue. And they were going to come back with a point-to-point 100K, which was going to be awesome. This was going to be like totally epic. I'd seen the entire course in pieces, um, and it's hard. It's rugged. It's everything that it's cracked up to be. It's a classic 50 miler and extending it to hundred K just makes it even better. It's not like they have to contrive the start of the finish. It's just more of really awesome trails. And I started checking my emails on it like the week before, like literally the week before the race. I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't match up because the information I was getting from one source was saying that it was 50 miles and the information I was getting from another source said that it was 100K. And so finally I learned, I mean, it was like six, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, it was like six or seven days before the race that it was actually in fact 50K, which was kind of a blessing for me because I was a little undertrained going into it. But I think that the, the, the whole thing just goes to demonstrate that it's weird right? Like right now is like really weird because not only are races literally up in the air, you know, we had several when San Diego was canceled, right? Just recently. Is that what it was? was San Diego? It wasn't postponed to, or was it postponed? Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, races are being canceled or postponed or in my case, it switched from 
50 miles to 100K and then back. And then I missed the and back and back part of it. And then in addition to that, for athletes that are traveling internationally, which, you know, both of us, we coach athletes that, you know, that, that are either coming to the United States to run mm-hmm. or live in the United States and are playing or doing thing, things abroad. I've got athletes that are doing the Tour de Jeant and some of the UTMB races and things like that they're still in a little bit of limbo because they don't know not only will the race actually happen, but what are going to, what are the the quarantine restrictions going to be into the country that they're going to and back into the United States. And those might, that might change from now until whenever kind of whenever the race is. And so there still is this cloud of ambiguity that's been going around the, the, the athletes and we've been having to manage this at coaches. And so that's what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to talk about. I personally had to live this cause I made a mistake on my, on my end, not realizing that the race had changed uh-huh. distances, but I'm going to use that. I, I got to use that as a little bit of intro just to say it's weird. So John, like what, like what have you been noticing with your athletes that are in this situation where they kind of, they just don't know what the future holds. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot, a lot coming up with that. I mean, the mixed emotions, I think, uh, nervousness for the, for the athletes, for the events are actually gonna, gonna actually go through, uh, canyons hundred K just happened this past weekend. And I had a couple of athletes racing that. And I know for a while that was still kind of a, a little bit up in the air and there's right. some last minute changes to the course there yep. at the hundred, at the hundred K the vert went up a little bit. So the athletes were, you know, a little bit nervous about that and the cutoffs. Um, so I think, yeah, the races that are actually going off, you know, uh, because it's been a while, I think one of the athletes going into canyons that had been close to two years, uh, since the last time they had towed the line and race. So, um, you know, that's, I, I think it's going to be kind of normal to, to feel nervous and anxious going into a race like that. Um, I've had athletes travel all the way down to, uh, Argentina and, uh, get turned around there by the customs there. And, you know, that's, uh, going to ruffle some feathers and, uh, just, uh, yeah, you know, a little bit stressful and having to go home and quarantine back at home. So I've seen kind of a mixed bag of athletes that are nervous, anxious heading into the races. And then other athletes that are a little bit hesitant to book flights and kind of go through with, you know, traveling, uh, across seas. So yeah, it's been quite a stir. So let's put our coaching hat on a little bit because I think that some of the, some of the changes that we all just went through are going to continue to happen. Right. In my case, I thought that I was going to run hundred K and I ended up running 50 miles, but you're right in canyons this weekend, I had athletes in canyons. They changed part of the course, things like that of different, of varying magnitudes, are absolutely going to continue to happen and Mm -hmm. they're going to unfold in a variety of different ways. Some of them might be the rate, the day of the race, right? The week of the race. Some of them might be a month before the race or two months before the race. Does that materially change the training going into it? And we could just use the canyons as an example, right? There's no way you could have changed the training by the time that they made that change. Right. You're not going to change because they made right. it like two or three days before the race, maybe a week before the race. But if you would have known about those small changes, would that materially change any of the preparation going into it? 
not really. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, as far as a, a couple thousand feet of vertical change, I mean, it's still up, down, up, down. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily have an athlete do, you know, increase their vertical throughout the week because of that small change. So yeah, there's, you know, a lot of it's just kind of, uh, slowing things down a little bit and realizing that it's in a way kind of splitting hairs, the the big difference that it's going to make. I mean, 50 miles compared to hundred K they're both really hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, and I know you get the question a lot, Coop about, uh, long runs and when's the longest run going to be, but it's not like you're going to really, you know, increase the duration of your long run for hundred K too much. Exactly. So, so I brought up the easy example, which is canyons. No, I don't think you would change the training at all. I even think with the stupid mistake I made, I probably wouldn't have changed anything. Right. I mean, I, I, uh-huh. may, I mean, maybe like three or 4% or something like that. Like when we look at the entirety of training all the way from January to now, which is, you know, April 24th or whatever it was. Right. Maybe there's a little bit here, a little bit there, but the difference between what I thought I was running, which is Zane Gray 100K, and what I ended up running, which is Zane Gray 50, which is totally my fault, just to reemphasize that. I still don't think the training would be that like all like all that much different. And so my point with that for the for the athletes that are that are out there that are going to experience these changes is that yes, you're gonna have to change your logistics. Right. If you, right. if crew's not allowed, crew's not allowed, you're going to have to, you know, figure out how to do things with drop bags and, you know, maybe longer aid stations and things like that. That's absolutely true. Yes. You're going to have to deal with the course change, turn right here, turn left there. And there are people right. at canyons that, uh, uh, that had recon the course that when they went on the new course, they were actually confused as to which direction to go. So yeah, yeah those things are actually going to, to, to be at issues. They're actually going to be issues. But in terms of the training, which is what most people get nervous about, right? Have I done enough? That fundamentally doesn't change all that much. Yeah, not really at all. You know, I think, yeah, logistics, uh, you know, if an aid station is separated, you know, it's a longer distance apart. Uh, you're going to want to factor all that in, uh, doing your homework on the course, making sure there's not any crazy changes to the start finish, things like this, like you said, turns, but no, as far as the training goes, I mean, I I think it's just putting in the consistent work and, you know, not really, uh, yeah. Hitting the panic button and feeling like you got to do more, which I think athletes tend to (laughs) constantly feel like they're not doing enough and they got to kind of up the ante a little bit. So, well, and one of those things that fuels it is something that you've mentioned earlier, it's been a while, right? I mean, it's been sometimes two years since athletes have towed the start line and maybe even longer. And there is a routine to getting into races, right? I mean, there's not just a routine with the training part of it, but as the race kind of gets near, you start drawing these parallels between the climbs that you're doing during training and the climbs that you're doing the race, the nutrition that you're doing in training and the nutrition that you're doing in the race aid stations in the races trying to like kind of visualize or, or, or kind of experience them in training for some, for, in some aspects that doesn't exist or that hasn't existed for, for a while. And I think a lot of the nervousness that we mentioned earlier with athletes has to do with the the fact that they haven't towed the start line. They've kind of gotten Mm -hmm. out of that, gotten out of that routine. So are you doing anything specific with your athletes that are kind of returning to racing after this, some, you know, maybe two year layoff in order to kind of like prepare them for those elements? 
Yeah. Yeah. A few things. I mean, in conversation with the athletes, just kind of letting them know that they're not the only ones feeling, you know, this anxiousness or feeling nervous going into the race. I mean, just pinning on the, the thought of pinning on a number, right. seems so maybe intimidating or things like this, but you know, they're not the only one, you know, and it can be easy to maybe feel isolated, like, Oh my God, but a lot of people aren't racing or haven't raced in a while, you know? And so I think that's helped a lot of athletes just kind of keep it a little bit more cool going in and almost kind of look at it as, Again, depending on what the race is for the athlete, if it's been a big race, if it's something that's been more of like a, a training race or a stepping stone leading into a bigger race, it's kind of looking at it more of like a, a dress rehearsal in a way, you know, kind of have that mindset, which kind of keeps it a little bit more relaxed, um, kind of going through the motions, if you will. So that's kind of helped a lot of athletes kind of calm down a little bit. But then also with the sport of ultra running, I think you and I can both agree that the community aspect and getting people together so I've, I've talked to a lot of athletes about that and, um, and they get really excited in a good way. So I think it's a matter about channeling that excitement with being back with the ultra running community and, uh, you know, sharing stories after the race and things like that. So I always like to bring that part up about the race and that gets athletes pretty pumped. It so. can almost be too overwhelming though. Because we haven't seen everybody in, in such a long time. I was at black canyons earlier this year, just, you know, spectating and, and supporting some athletes out there and the, and they still had very, a very COVID compliant type of aid station set up. That was absolutely the case. But even with that, even with everybody kind of spread out and it's point to point course, which kind of like spreads the support and you know, people that are watching out as well, even with all of those elements at play, there still was an enhanced level of enthusiasm there. And it was the first time that I thought that, oh, wow, when athletes do go back to races, especially the really big ones, there's going to even be a bigger spotlight on this concept to not burn all your matches before the gun goes off. Right. 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 That's a good point you bring up. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, being a, being around the energy before the race, I'm thinking I'm going to races like UTMB and Western States, you know, that there's a lot of uh, pre-race hype and energy. So yeah, just being mindful of that too and not kind of overdoing that. Well, it's, it's compounded by, especially in those big races, the fact that with almost all the athletes, right. The athletes that that are just normal, that have had to go through some sort of lottery process, they've had to wait to get entry into it for sometimes three, four, five, six, seven years, and then wait after COVID to get back it. So there's this like huge amount of like pent up, you know, energy that's even that, that is the, that's multiplied by by the time you actually get to the start line. And I actually think with those bigger races, that's going to be like for people like you and I, who are working with these athletes that are going to UTMB, going to Western States, going to these big, uh, big races that, uh, that we're going to have to like very consciously manage that with our athlete groups in terms of the energy expenditure in the days, just a couple of days leading into the, into the race and just making them aware of all the pitfalls of that. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, we know that, yeah, when cortisol is, is raised, I mean, we're, you're burning through, 
uh, glycogen and, you know, and all this and just being on your feet, moving around. So, uh, it, I would say it could definitely make or break your day for sure. Uh, the other one too, is athletes getting pulled off of wait lists too. That's been happening more and more when, you know, I think maybe it's over athletes coming over for overseas, can't make the race. So I'm having athletes that are getting into Western States that they're like, totally, this isn't going to happen. So now it goes like the race, they weren't going to get in, they get pulled off the wait list. And so there's that, that excitement, uh, in that situation as well, where athletes are kind of, yeah, they're, now they're in this big race that they didn't think they were going to get into. <laughs> okay. So practic <laughs> so practically, right. Let's, let's use that as an example, but I think that a lot of athletes can extrapolate this to, I, I don't know what's going to happen four months from now. I think I'm going to be in this race. I think it's going to happen. Or it, like in your case, I'm not in Western States. I am in Western States. Like, what are you doing with your athletes just kind of presently in April and May, like really acutely to get them ready for either something that is different, like a wrinkle that's gotten thrown in the schedule that they need to take advantage of or this unknown element? Like what are the practical pieces that athletes can kind of put in place like right here, right now for the next several weeks as all these races are either coming back online or changing or Right. whatever they're going to do. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think it, it, you know, goes to, you know, uh, how can we leverage that event still to continue to put in the work now and be best prepared for that event? So, I mean, obviously the consistency doesn't go away. Um, I think more than ever, just because a race is kind of a question mark, I think we can still use that as, um, how can we be, more capable with their training today. And, you know, if it's an area of our training that an athlete needs to work on, then we start getting to work on that and improving that weakness, getting it closer to a strength. And so, um, I mean, I think it, it goes back to, do we want to just arrive at the race ready or do we want to, you know, uh, see what's available to us today and make the most of our training now? Um, if it, if the, if the race gets canceled for some reason, you're, you're really fit. You're really fit. You, you put it. <laughs> it's not you, the worst thing in the world. <laughs> you know, well, I always thought this is like, okay, Chuck's there. I know that's, you know, not fun, but you're in really good shape right now, you know? And so what, what else can we, where, where else can we steer the ship to, you know? And so that's, it's not like it all goes to, to the wayside and it's not worth it. Um, so there's a lot of creativity being, uh, that I'm seeing with athletes too. Um, I've had athletes pick up other sports too, that they used to engage with back in the day. Uh, you know, for instance, it's the race that might've, that was supposed to happen in the spring and got pushed to the fall. And so there's been, you know, a little bit more time to kind of experiment again, hone those weaknesses a little bit, get them, get them up to strengths and, and still, you know, again, put in amazing work. So, uh, yeah, I've seen only good things actually come from that. Although there is a bit of the uh, anxiety too with it. I'm not saying that that's not there, but as far as the training, let's train as if it's going to happen and still, you know, see what we can do. Yeah, I, I was a big believer in that almost to, you know, uh, my own detriment last year that the races are still going to happen. You're still going to train. And the worst thing that happens is you're more fit at the end of the day. And I think what we'll start to see this year is the athletes that went through that process and this and that psychology, they're ready. Mm -hmm. Like they're not pushing the panic button because they did all the work last year right. throughout COVID without any races and things like that. And they don't have to create 
these big monumental training ramp ups and take all of the risks and get hurt and things like that because they never really kind of they never they, they never really kind of skipped a beat. It's the athletes that for whatever reason, and we're not going to get into that on this podcast, but for whatever reason, because of the ambiguity, took a leg down in their training. Now mm. that everything's ramping back up, they're having to make up for all that lost time and normally train. And th- that ends up being in a lot of cases, just a little bit, um, it, it can be just over overwhelming. That's where people make mistakes, right? Because they feel that they're behind and they double down on their workload and that just kind of spiral that, that all kind of spirals out of control. Um, for the athletes that are in the former group, I want to get your take on this for the athletes that are in the former group that have kind of like done their homework, like almost universally, maybe 85 or 90% of the athletes that I've been working with, they're in this phase where they're taking a volume leg up. They spent January, February, March doing a lot of intensity, low, like lower types of volumes, a lot of intervals, kind of like laying the intensity foundation. It's winter. Nobody wants to go out and do eight hour runs in the snow and things like that. (laughs) And now that things are starting to clear up, the intensity gets, uh, it doesn't get completely put to the side, but it starts to have less of an emphasis. And then the volume starts to really ramp up here. And I kind of like this for two reasons is one creating this initial volume leg up puts less pressure once the real racing starts to get underway and you have, and you're having to maximize volume. So if you can imagine the training arc, not only in April and May, but also, uh, July and August, there are two big volume ramp ups right now. And then the volume kind of stays level. And then during July and August, when a lot of people have big key races around, that's like the final, that's like the ultimate, uh, uh, volume leg up, but it's really taking advantage of the intensity that they, that they've laid down right now. I don't know if you have the same experience with the athletes that are kind of in your group, John, where they're all kind of going through similar cycles at a similar time frame or not. Yeah, I'd say so. And again, going back to the athletes that are kind of more process driven, you know, really into the flow and uh, the day to day approach. Again, not saying that the the goal, the race doesn't matter, but they're they're very much so into, you know, uh, getting out the door the next day and putting in the work. Yeah, they're 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 in a good spot now in the sense that they have a, a good foundation. They've done the uh, the high intensity work that for an ultra runner can be maybe a little bit more intimidating, maybe not the top of the list of things to do. And now that, yeah, they're sitting there with, you know, um, uh, being able to get into the more specific training with the leg up and not having this kind of pressure feeling like they need to kind of cram for the exam kind of a thing, which, um, can never be a good thing, obviously from an injury kind of side of things too, feeling like you got to kind of put in the work in a condensed fashion. So, um, yeah, I'm also seeing just the, the athletes that are realizing the benefit with not having that interruption with more frequent racing, the taper, the race, I'm injured, I got to recover from the race. Um, so they're seeing the value in just the consistent work and layering week after week of consistent training and what that can do uh, to your fitness. Um and then, yeah, getting into the summer months where the, the, the snow and the high country melts out, people are excited to get up into the mountains, and that's when you want to be putting in the bigger days. So, um, uh, yeah, I can definitely relate to that for sure with my athletes. Okay, um, you, you brought up something, and I'm going to ping off of it. Okay. There's this, there's this notion out there that because 2020 contained no racing mm-hmm. and 
ultra runners are notoriously over racing in quotation marks. They're over racing uh-huh. that 2021, because there was no racing last year is going to be the year of PRs and course records. And everybody is going to smash all of, all of their goals because they were forced out of this over racing cycle that is very uh-huh. clichely tied to trail and ultra running. Are we going to see that? Are we actually, this is, this is banter, total, you know, total yeah. prognosticating on, on our parts. Are we going to see all of the course records get smashed and all of the, you know, everybody's PRs get smashed and look back at this and go, yep, we were really over racing before now. <laughs> and now we've learned our lesson. Is that going to actually happen? Um, I don't, I don't agree on that entirely, but I I do think that there'll be some, some athletes that have some pent up energy that they, (laughs) (laughs) they might kind of let one loose on the day and, 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 uh, surprise themselves. But I don't think we're going to see a complete, you know, 360, 180 of, uh, results. But again, I think there are going to be athletes that maybe haven't seen their full potential because they've maybe have over race that like, Whoa, you know, I can pick a couple, races that I'm pretty excited about and just kind of really focus on those. And, you know, if anything, I think it'll just be a good experiment for athletes to kind of maybe see the difference between racing, maybe a little bit more and then racing less and how they feel. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think we're going to see a mixed bag where we'll see some athletes. Well, some athletes will benefit from the lack of racing, but I think that we'll see just as many, it'll be about 50, 50, Right. That because the racing wasn't there and because the racing serves as a training stimulus in a lot of cases right. and right. They're missing that, that those athletes are going to be, those, those athletes are going to perform worse than they normally would. It's, this is an impossible comparison, but right. I remember way back when COVID started, this was like part of the banter that kind of went around and I was per- personally, this is just my opinion. Once again, it's just banter. Yeah. I was like, wait, 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 hold on. A, I don't think that we that we're chronically we as a community chronically over race as much as what has been portrayed. B, I yeah. don't think that everybody does that to the same to the same extent. But anyway, it's, a, it's yeah. certainly an interesting facet because even with the initial races and canyons is a, is a really good example of that. Some of the feedback that I'm getting, at least on the elite side, is that there is a little bit of rust. They get needs to get knocked off. And mm-hmm. some athletes are, are intentionally trying to knock that rust off with personal projects. And, and, yeah. and you and I have talked about this before in some of our coaching calls. Some of these personal projects are like, they're 500% better than races in terms of how cool they are and how neat yeah. and how impactful they are, how impactful they ha- they have uh, been with athletes. Do you see that as like an element that continues to go forward now that athletes that have been, now that that athletes have experienced this, these personal projects that, that, that they've been doing? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, I think the, the, the personal projects, the FKTs, I mean, they're, they're only going to get more popular. You know, I think it's kind of getting in a way back to the roots of kind of ultra running, kind of getting out, creating an adventure, having that creativity with it as well. You know, some athletes are hitting the, you know, some of the more well-known trails, uh, you know, the PCT, the, the AT, things like this, the Arizona trail, just got a, uh, uh, supported FKT on that. Um, but I think it's, it kind of scratches a little bit of that itch of that competitive, uh, drive that, you know, all of us athletes have in one way or another. And so, 
I think it, it's a healthy thing. I think it's, they're definitely here to stay. And I think they could provide tremendous growth for the athlete too, whether they choose to do it supported and, you know, have their coach or their family come out and support them, or they do it solo and kind of have a, a little bit of like a vision quest kind of deal. There's definitely growth in that for sure. So I, I totally agree with you. And I'm going to tack onto that. I still think that we're going to have demand outstrip supply in terms of the, uh -huh. the, the demand for racing and the supply that the community of race directors can actually uh, put out there, especially, especially here in North America. Uh -huh. And I think because of that, because of that inequality between too much demand and not enough supply that can actually catch up, we're still going to continue to see athletes take on these really cool things because now there are more and more blueprints out there for them to actually look at. There are more and more people that have done the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim to rim. The, the more people that have done the Arizona trail, there are more people that have done, uh, the Pimmy loop, you know, up in the, right. up in the Northeast. And so this, this, the information that's out there, not just for the elite athletes, but for every everyday athletes as well, the amount of information that they can draw from, not only logistically, but also from an inspirational standpoint, just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I agree with your sentiment that we're, that's going to be here to stay. And it's going to be interesting for us as coaches to try to help athletes navigate that, help athletes navigate these personal projects that go alongside their racing goals that they, that they might have. Have you had that with your athletes that have had these kind of like two things that are running in parallel, like a traditional race yeah. and also personal projects? Oh yeah. And, and that to me, Coop has been like the real fascinating part and fun to work with athletes on. I have an athlete doing the Bigfoot or actually he's doing the triple crown of 200 milers. And, you know, a couple races got you know, swept underneath them. And so we're kind of sitting there, well, you know, what can we do? And a question I like to kind of pose to my athletes is like, well, what's available to you, right? Yeah, okay. You yeah. don't have the race that you signed up for, but you know, let's take a look around and what can we get into? And so he's out in Virginia, he has the Appalachian trail, uh, in his backyard. So we've schemed up some fast packing and some pretty fun routes. He has a 110 mile route on the AT through the Shenandoah national park. And so he's on, he's just, I mean, ecstatic, like he is, he, he doesn't even talk about the 200 milers. It's all about the, you know, <laughs> this, uh, this, this, uh, adventure on the AT. And so, and that's all again, you know, how specific can you get for a 200 miler? You know, he's going to be out, uh, unsupported. He's going to have everything on his back and he's going to be covering 110 miles with you know, quite a bit of elevation gain. So he's like a kid in a candy store. He cannot wait to get out on the AT and that's all leveraging that towards his bigger goals later in the year, the, the 200 milers. So, um, yeah, it's just been really fun to hear the excitement with the athletes too, as we kind of talk through the details and, uh, just get ready for, for those adventures. So, yeah, yeah I, it's been really cool. So I hone in on two, two components of these personal projects. Uh -huh. The first one you just mentioned access, right? And right, second one right. you mentioned without, without even realizing it. And that's inspiration. It's the things yeah. that they look at and they can say, wow, that is really freaking cool. I have, I've always wanted to do this, but I've never, you know, I've, there's always some excuse, but right. as I mentioned earlier, the amount of information that is out there for athletes to draw upon is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then that barrier, those barriers that they've put up. I've never had the time. I don't, I can't put it together. I can't, you know, conceivably, you know, wrap my head around it or whatever. Those barriers are going to seem, seem less and less insurmountable because more people do it. 
and because right. of the information out there. And so that inspiration piece of it, it's just easier for athletes to grasp onto. And if you have those two things, access and inspiration, that's a really powerful combination for these personal projects. So much so that it starts to like almost engross all of their thoughts because it's like they're spending every waking hour, like looking at maps and thinking about what food to take and you right, know, the things right. that they're going to experience along the way. It's cool. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, again, athletes can get really fixated on the events and they obsess over it. And again, that's not a bad thing, but I think when we have these other objectives, whether it's a, a workout or a training camp or a weekend that they get to get out into the mountains, like we can get really excited about the little steps along the way. I mean, talk about creating a sustainable, fun process and, you know, with your training. I mean, it's just unbelievable that the athletes are just, you know, uh, yeah, just getting this, I don't know if it's a second wind, but, uh, uh, yeah, just being able to get out and see more of their backyard too. I've had a lot of athletes that they didn't even know it was there. Right. Some of the stuff. Whoa. Like I didn't know that was in my backyard. That's really cool. So there's been a, a tremendous amount of growth from it and inspiration, like you said. And I mean, just the, the tools too, um, like, you know, the mapping devices, like I've been coaching a lot of athletes. I do a lot of off trail kind of fast packing stuff myself, but getting athletes to think outside the box and not necessarily just follow a known path, but to create their own, mm. um, and, you know, and so that, at first that might've been a little scary for an athlete to think about. And now they're thinking about doing, creating their own route that no one's done before. <laughs> so that's, that's added kind of a different element, a different twist to it too, but that's been really fun to coach athletes on as well. So our athletes are lucky, right? Not to toot our own horn too much, but they have a collaborative partner in this with coaches like you and I, right? Cause we, we, right. we definitely, We've been very conscious about this within our within our coaching group uh, throughout COVID that we're going to have to help lead athletes more so than we were used to leading them. Because before we kind of had it easy, and I think we're now recognizing this, is the races come around, they either get drawn or they don't get drawn, and then that kind of sets right. the table. But what's happened what's happened since COVID is, is we've had to play a more active part in curating what that athletic experience is going to be. Is it a race? Is it a personal project and things like that? And that curation is not, nobody teaches you that in college or in coaching school or whatever. That's something that we've all had to adapt to as coaches. I want to break that down a little bit because there's not, because the listeners out there that there's going to be a lot of them out there that are, that are self coach and that's totally fine. And they're just navigating this themselves. But I think that the lessons that we've kind of learned as coaches on how to curate that experience or curate these personal projects in conjunction with our athletes, because they always have to lead the way. Right. I think that right. that, that we can, all athletes can kind of learn from that, can kind of learn through that process. So what have you specifically done with your athletes in that vein to curate those personal projects? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, well, it depends on what they originally were kind of coming to me for coaching for, you know, whether it was training for an ultra, you know, things like this, but I mean, just taking, for example, a lot of the athletes I coach at 80% or so are, are training for an ultra marathon. They like to be outside. They like to be in nature. Right. So we kind of start there you know, it's kind of like some of these events that might've gotten postponed or canceled, you know, what type of landscape was, was that race? You know, was it a mountainous race? Was it, you know, um, was there some aspect of, of the route that really caught your eye? Right. So kind of 
I just kind of bring those concepts up with the athletes and then I get them to think more about like, well, where else can we access that? You know? And so, um, you know, it kind of gets the athletes thinking a little bit. And again, I, I don't like to just, you know, give them, well, Hey, check this right out. I eventually will get there if they can't find it, but I like to get them to kind of do their homework a little bit, you know? And so that's, for example, that's for the AT, the Shenandoah came about. I was just like, you know, well, your 200 miles have quite a bit of climbing. They've got some te technical footing. What do you have out your door? And so a week, you know, maybe it was a couple of weeks go by and my athlete brought up the Appalachian trail section. So it's more of a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you kind of get the creative juices flowing again, the question of like, what do you have access to what's available to you kind of it has the athlete maybe scratching their head a little bit. Um, you know, the question of like, where are some areas that you've always wanted to go visit, you know, what's there. Right. Yeah. And so they break out the maps, they start looking at different areas that they can go, you know, visit and see what's available there. So it's, it's more about just asking questions with the athletes and kind of sparking a little bit of that curiosity. I think curiosity really comes to the surface. And I think once an athlete gets curious, then there's more digging, there's more investigation. And then that's where you can get out and go discover. Right. So, um, so it's been asking questions and just kind of guiding the athlete along the way. So, yeah, I think the athletes that are out there that are trying to figure out what, what this might mean for them, they mm -hmm. would be, they would be well suited to take that curiosity question to heart. Like what things right. are you naturally drawn to that come mm -hmm. to mind first? Is it a feature? Is it a particular trail? Is it a type of environment, right. really hot, really cold, really rocky, you know, whatever. And then use that as an initial thread to pull on. Right. You're helping them, right. lead, you're helping them get to that initial thread. But it's really interesting that, that you mentioned, you just kind of provided the first one or 3% and yeah. then they kind of yeah. run with it, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it can maybe easily kind of jump a little bit further along and say, check this place out, check this place out, you know, but I might just pull a few, uh, uh, parks, state parks in their area, um, a section of a trail. So I kind of give them a little bit of some clues to kind of look into. And it's that process again, because I, again, I think it, the, the athletes learn a lot from going through the process, not just be like, Oh yeah, well, let's just pick this one. Let's just pick this trail. Um, so I think it's more about that process and going through it that again, going back to, you know, encouraging an athlete to pick an ultra because they, there's something really special about it because they're freaking hard and you want to find a race. It's the same thing with these big objectives is to, and I think if you go through the process, you're patient with it, you're going to really find that meeting and that value of why you're doing it. I love that because yeah. the process that you go through on these personal projects can actually be retrofitted back into the races because all too often you've had athletes like this and I've had athletes like this athletes get into races that they just don't want to do. They FOMO into right. them because everybody yeah. else is doing it or they feel that they have to because it's close to them or because right. what kind of whatever reason. And it ends up, it ends up in a lot of cases being kind of a resentful process because they didn't like what they were gonna, they didn't like what they were training for in the first place. This, where you have right. unlimited choices to choose from, right? You can, you can go anywhere uh -huh. and, and do these things. Uh -huh. It kind of grounds them into, hey, these are the things that I'm really interested in that are really cool. Let me take that process and apply it to the racing scene. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of athletes find that 
I've had athletes that have gone the adventure route, the FKT route, and then they go back into the racing and they're, they're kind of like the racing's fun and all, but, uh, um, I kind of like that, that adventure <laughs> that I designed, um, no offense to the race director, but, uh, I kind of liked what I put together, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a perspective shift as well. Right. You know, uh, for sure. And I, uh, I think the athletes that when they take the time, they design the FKT or the adventure, um, it's a little bit, I don't know if it's low key, uh, but the, the, the expectations are, uh, a little bit lower, potentially there's a little bit less stress going into it for at least some of the athletes personally that I've coached. Um, so that can just kind of be refreshing for athletes too. There's not yeah. as much hype around it and yeah. start line, finish hype. line and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah I totally exactly. Agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. But, so there, there's one, uh, there's kind of one element of what, what I think is also going on, or maybe we're kind of at the tail end of it that, that we haven't touched on yet. We're, Cause we're kind of presenting this rosy picture of, you know, everything's awesome. And you know, people are smashing these FKTs and the racing season is coming back and all that's great. Right. Uh, I think that that's, I, I think that is absolutely amazing. It's been a long time coming, but there are athletes that, that we've worked with where we have really tried hard to turn something around where just the whole litany of circumstances, all of these races being canceled, athletes go from these really high highs, I'm going to do these awesome things to these really low lows. Right. And it's hard to pull athletes kind of like back out of that, kind of like back out of the pit. But now is the time. So what have you been what have you been doing with that kind of cohort of athletes, with those athletes that just they just need they need to kind of like turn around their prospects and their thought process on what the future holds for them right yeah no that's um that's a lot of that is happening right now i think (laughs) it's uh you know that we're in a transition another transition for sure um you know there's a lot of stress um, out there, why am I doing this? Like, you know, uh, not second guesses, but kind of in a way. So I think for me, it's just been kind of slowing the athletes down a little bit and kind of having them to kind of pause and just kind of take a look and, you know, really ask some questions that might not be easy to ask. But I think if the athletes ask these questions, why am I doing this? What does this bring to me that, you know, brings, uh, brings about a clear understanding and can help with more of the, the next steps or the direction they want to go. Right. Um, so instead of kind of getting wrapped up in like, you know, I'm not enough. I haven't raced in a year or, you know, again, a lot of athletes are feeling isolated because they haven't raced and, or they, a friend actually had the opportunity to go race, but theirs got canceled. So they're feeling a little isolated. So I think it's just having the athletes slow down really kind of take some time to think about what it is that they really want to do and realize that that's a process (laughs) that doesn't happen overnight as well. And, um, and realizing that, you know, yeah, we don't need to necessarily you know, have an event on the calendar that you're building up to, to be enough and to be great. I think, you know, athlete can still, you know, uh, uh, be empowered and better themselves in training. It doesn't have to be necessarily tied to an event. Um, so I, I've seen that quite a bit. So it's giving athletes some space, slow down some, some, uh, self-reflection, if you will. And I think that can go a long way. I'm totally yeah. with you on the slow down part. And I'm going to add one yeah. piece and that's zoom out. 
because we right, get I would agree with that. The, the 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 athletes that I see that are having a like a just a, for whatever reason a really hard time right now getting back into things. They think that they have to be immediately better next week or everything has to be solved. They have to know their race picture, their training picture, right. and things like that next week. And when you get them to zoom out, sometimes that zoom out lens is two or three years, right? You're here mm, now. Yeah. Three years ago, you were, look what you were doing then. That provides the context that it's really not all that bad. Even for the athletes that we mentioned earlier that had a hard time mm-hmm. with COVID, their, their training yeah. really suffered for whatever reason. They're a healthcare worker and just couldn't spend the time or they just got in a rut or whatever. If you zoom that lens out, that performance decline is a very, very, very small bump in a extremely long road that might last for some runners decades, right? And even if it's just a few years, they're still way better off right now than they were, you know, a, cu- a couple of years ago. And that zoom out process provides, I think, the like the perfect perspective to say, you know what, I don't have to get it all back in a month or two months. And I'm way better off now than I was you know, two years ago or something like that. So if athletes just slow down and zoom out a little bit, that's going to go a long, long way. A hundred percent, you know, athletes are in it for the long haul. I haven't yet coached an athlete that just wants to be good for a month or two. Um, It's, you know, most athletes, they want to, they want to, you know, be in it, you know, and running for many, many years. So I think you're right on that coop. It's just kind of take a step back, slow down. You're not going to lose a ton of fitness. Even if you decide to take a couple weeks, a month off, or, you know, again, maybe you engage in a different sport to kind of freshen things up a little bit. But I think there's this, uh, uh, I see this kind of need to kind of constantly be trying to kind of do things or do the next big thing. And it's like, you don't, have to do that. If you don't know what you want to do, slow down and it'll, it'll, it'll come. It'll come with time with patience. So right. Not every week has the to be a PR. Is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to be, you know, riding the, we can't ride the wave uh, nonstop every day. Right. We're going to have to come, come off the wave a little bit. And uh, that's a healthy, healthy thing to do. So, well, I still think that this is like one of the coolest, like, coaching transition points that I've ever had in my career because I've nobody's ever really gone through this where we've had kind of our competitive industry like shut down for a whole year and now it's just getting booted back up online it's not all at once right it's like one of those slow you know Commodore 64 boot ups or Apple 2e boot ups remember those old computers that took like five or seven minutes to boot up and it seemed like it was forever I think the race is getting booted back up or going through this similar process where it's just going to take you know it's just going to take some time for everything to kind of come back online and it's going to come back online in stages some are going to be different some are going to be in a different format some are going to have certain restrictions around them but we're starting to see we're, we're definitely starting to see indicators that you know that 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 these things are coming back and like i said earlier it's a really neat it's a really neat transition because there's there's some excitement in the in the air about it so the athletes that kind of like miss the boat can get back on it they don't have to get back all all on at once and the athletes that have been training the whole time are finally like yes like everything is here and there are right. more options out there because of all these personal projects and FKTs. So it's just this cool confluence of all these really, you know, of all the, all these things that have been, you know, percolating for a long time. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And like you said, that can be potentially overwhelming for some athletes as well. Just the, you know, now the options of like creating your own adventure race is now popping up. So again, I think my advice is you don't have to know exactly what you're going to do right away. I can't, I think just slow things down, ask yourself, you know, what are some areas of my fitness that, you know, I want to improve on, you know, and, and maybe some kind of objectives goals come about from that too. Um, so yeah. And I think for going back to your going back to that sentiment that you don't have to exactly know what's coming up. Fundamentally, training doesn't change all that much. And I'll also say the outcome, like the improvement because we're all we're trying to improve athletes, right? That's one of our one of our big goals here. Even if the order gets switched around a little bit, if you back that, if you back your lens up and you zoom out to a year-long lens, the improvement that you squeak out still doesn't change like all that much as long as you're process oriented week to week, month to month, you're still working on things. You're still, you're still going to improve. And I've heard that from a lot of athletes that do have this ambiguity uh, or this mm-hmm. uncertainty, I guess is a better word, this uncertainty in the future. It's like, well, what should I be doing right now? Because I don't know nine months from now exactly how this is all going to unfold. And I just tell them, listen, it's not going to change all that much. And even for whatever reason, if it did, doing things in a slightly different order fundamentally doesn't change the growth prospect that you're going to go through when you look at things over nine months. Now, if something changes in the last three months, that's a different that's a different deal, especially right. if it's dramatically, right? You go from 100 miles to 50K or something like that, 100 miles to a marathon. That, that would have an impact. But when we're looking at things that are six months, nine months down the line, that might get changed a little bit changing up the sequence of things really doesn't have that big of an impact at, at the end, at the end of the day. And I feel that that provides a lot of relief for athletes just to get on with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that space, that time, um, you know, depending on where they're at, I mean, if they're just running easy, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of the time spent with running is not going to be hard. It's going to be generally more right. comfortable running right. period. So, um, I think I always tell athletes, you know, if we're not doing intensity, that's okay. We can still yeah. grow and develop by just getting out the door and still putting in good solid work. So, um, I agree with that as well. I think, uh, yeah, it gets a little fuzzy when there's a, a, a quick change Right. 50 K to now I'm going to do hundred K and it's in a shortish time frame. A but. quick change. That's really dramatic, right? Yeah. I mean, a quick change that's, you know, maybe it's 10% around the edges, whatever, like, but a quick change is right. really dramatic. Like one year they canceled UTMB. It went from hundred miles to 80 K or 90 K or something like that because of the weather that had a big, I would say that that's a, that's a market impact, but that happens right. very, very, very rarely. And I don't think, I don't think that uncertainty right at the end of the day is so big right now that you can't design very effective training that is going to pay off at the end of the day. Because you and I know as coaches, like we can go through case studies. They are all (laughs) remarkably similar to each other. We could line up a hundred athletes that we all coach within our coaching group that have hundred K hundred milers or whatever in August and September they're going to overlap like a like a tremendous amount and that's not just because we're all in the same coaching group but that's because we're 
that's because the the event demands are so very similar once you get into these longer distances that the event demands kind of take care of the training architecture by themselves. Right. Yeah. Plus or minus some weeks, maybe a month, but yeah. that's, that's kind of pushing it. So it's very, very small time frame we're talking about. Yeah. It's not years. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nor is it dramatic, nor would you go yeah. from like, 20 hours a week to 10 hours a week, right? You're cutting yeah. your volume in half because of something. It doesn't, it doesn't change fundamentally that much. I mean, if you're, if an athlete changes, like if they're going from like a mountainous ultra to like a track event, that, that would shift a little bit, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's not happening. No, no, that's not happening. I mean, typically it's like one trail to the next or like in canyons, they add a couple thousand feet or right, the right. course gets cut off short or there's an aid station or something like that. And I think the point that we're trying to make is that even, even in these types of situations, you have to realize in your training right now, it doesn't fundamentally change a whole lot. So if you stay the course, you're still going to improve. And even in the absolute worst case situation, the rug totally gets pulled out from underneath you and the race doesn't happen. You're still fitter than, than you were before. And that is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. No, <laughs> and not a bad thing for just a year, you know, again, zooming out and the following year, Next year. you know, I have athletes that, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I have had some athletes that, you know, they've kind of said, you know what, there's nothing that I can, that I'm really that excited about that I want to really train for in 2021. And we're, and we're looking into 2022. Right. Yep. And so they have that much more time to, cause they are seeing the benefit in part of consistent work without the interruption, you know, and so they're like, you know, what's wrong with that? What, what, what can we do with another year of this type of work? Mm. So that's interesting uh, because I, I actually hadn't put a whole lot of thought into this before because of the lack of racing and the work is uninterrupted. You have more guideposts to go from that. The training is effective. Sometimes the racing actually interferes with all those guideposts because we don't, yeah. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of like throwing people in a physiology lab every three months and like very precisely determining are they better or are they not. A lot of right. times we're using the training, normalized graded pace and you know how they feel on the training and you know maybe they're doing time trials or they're doing intervals around a certain you know loop or whatever where they know yes. where they know week to week, month to month kind of where they're standing. That picture is hard to paint and it's harder to paint when you have races kind of interrupting it. But because of this continuous nature of training and that there's more, there, there are more of these guideposts, you actually can see the improvement in training. And then it's almost, you don't have to race, right? Cause a lot of people use races to prove that their training <laughs> is working right? Yeah, when you right. have, when you should have the training itself. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That's been fun to see. Um, Awesome, man. All right. So any final words of wisdom for the athletes that are coming back into racing right now that we can leave people with? Yeah, I think, you know, as athletes start to get back into, you know, if the race has popped back on the calendar um, or if it's gotten kind of pushed to the fall, which has been a common theme, right? After right. our race right. is getting kind of... Right. I don't know if I want to say kick down the road, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, you know, again, I go back to it's going to happen and it's happening to not just you, but it's, you know, the, the cancellations, the, the postponements is it's very much so still 2021 and that's okay. Um, it's, 
it's not just you. There's other athletes that are having races that are getting kind of thrown, thrown around. There's other athletes that don't know what they're going to do, you know? And I think that can be a hard spot to be in. Cause it's like, you know, I'm, I'm used to racing three times a year and I haven't raced at all. And am I enough? Like, Oh my God, I got to prove myself. And I think the proof can be in just like, again, what I said is about going out and discovering and getting, getting creative with the approach to the process of training, um, and not just necessarily feeling like it needs to be attached to an event a month, two months away. It can be right here, right now. What can I do with, uh, with my training today? And I think that can be a p- very powerful way for athletes to go into another transition. So that's awesome. You got a lot yeah. of tools right here, right now that are free and easily accessible yeah. all at your disposal. Very wise sports man. Yeah. Um, Thanks, ma'am. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Your, yeah. your athletes are better off having you as a coach, John. I've always had a ton, hey. of, ton of respect for you. Appreciate it, Coop. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Oh, hey. by the way, what's on your calendar? What's on my calendar? Yeah. Um, People want to yeah, know this. I, um, I, you know, I, I think last year I might have brought, brought it up with the group, but I uh, did the Bob Marshall Wilderness Open with actually another mm. friend of mine. I Chantel's coaching uh, Brandon, who I think was on the podcast yep. at some He's point. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're going to head back out into the, the Bob Marshall Wilderness, and that's a traverse. It's about 120 miles. Uh, a lot of it's off trail, navigating through grizz, grizz country, lots of wildlife out there. Um, so that, that's kind of a fun adventure that's coming up in about four weeks. I'm going to give a go actually on the long trail, which I've been wanting to do for quite some time. So that's kind of a, will be kind of a big, uh, big project for me. And that's going to be in July. So I'm going to do that unsupported, uh, starting on the ner- Northern, uh, terminus and heading South down to Massachusetts. So that's so going to be, yeah. The, lo- the long trail for the listeners out there that don't realize what it is. It goes the length of Vermont from north to yep. south or south to north john's gonna go north north to south i've had an athlete that's gone out there for the last few, few years and done it it is really hard it is a really re- especially the northern part is a very northern hard part. very technical trail it gets a little easier once you link up with the appalachian trail mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's freaking it's a it's a sweet trail yeah yeah so i'm really excited about that something i've been wanting to do for many years and then i'll do the rut at the end of the year but i'm excited also to announce that i won't be doing the bear 100 this year uh, <laughs> uh which I'm, I'm actually really thrilled about that how many times have you done uh, the bear this is why this is uh funny. not nine times so nine nine, I have nine starts i say nine starts okay. i finished it uh seven times uh so this would have been my 10th year but yeah, I'm just excited to shake it up. And I have a lot of athletes that go out because they know that I've raced it so many years. So I have, I think, six athletes that are signed up for this year again. Wow. So I'm excited to be on the other side and get back and, and crew and, and uh, yeah, just help out at the race this year. So, That's awesome, John. You're yeah. going to have a good one, man. You're going to have fun on yeah. the long trail. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. We'll see you, Coop. Yeah, man. All right, Trail and Ultra Runners, there you go. There you have it. That was really fun. Thank you to John for coming on the podcast today. Like I said, John is one of the coaches that I have the most amount of respect for. I get to see his athletes at all these races, a lot of them uh, that we mentioned on the podcast, and they have the best things to say about John, and you can see why on this particular podcast. Appreciate the heck out of everybody listening today, and as always, we will see you out on the trails.